in our series on following Jesus. We're coming to a close. Today we're looking at the topic that because Jesus lives, we can face tomorrow. We've read from 1 Corinthians 15. And the whole topic of having a a glorious body is something which actually is what a lot of people are trying to work towards at the minute. If you were to ask, you know, who wants a perfect body, lots of people would say, yeah, I do. If you were then to ask, how do you get one? They say, well, you go to the gym, you work out a few times each week, you make sure you eat healthy food, you get your protein, get your mineral supplements, get all these things that you need, look after your body, keep your weight down. Don't abuse your body with substances like alcohol or drugs or, or other things. And then you can expect to have a perfect body. <laughs> well, it doesn't quite work like that, sadly. Even if you do all those things, you just never know. You might end up, you might have some genetic disease with disability that just one day just you become aware of. You might end up with some illness that no amount of exercise and and healthy eating will be able to overcome. One day everything seems fine and there's a bright future ahead. And the next day, some illness comes your way and plunges you into a world of pain, a world of struggling. It can be a disease or a virus or illness. And despite all the things that you could have done to prevent these things happening, we're just not as in control as we would like to to think we are. We're living in a fallen world. Maybe the doctor gives us some bad news. We struggle with ill health for a few weeks and then we're okay. Or maybe it's longer term. Maybe we struggle to get back to full health or maybe we never do. We might end up with a terminal disease. Despite doing all that we can, taking all the, the medication, getting all the treatment that we can, we... We just don't seem to be able to do anything that will help. In life, we're in control of some things, our exercise, what we eat, but we're not in control of everything. What we should do is to keep our bodies in good condition and not abuse them out of love for God and as stewards of what he has given to us. But ultimately, sooner or later, we will face the uncomfortable reality of, of death, of dying, unless the Lord returns in glory in the meantime, unless the trumpet sounds, as Paul says, and in the twinkling of an eye we're transformed. On that day when the Lord returns, all who have died will be raised. The general resurrection of the dead is, has been taught through 20 years of, of Christianity. Everyone will be raised to be judged, to either suffer the punishment due for sin, sadly, or 
or to enter glory with God forever. So those will be raised, those who are alive, her Christs will join those who have died in Christ and will be with him when he returns. Those who are alive will be taken up in the air to be with Christ. And being taken and others being left behind is not about a rapture. (coughs) It's not about... uh, there's going to be a period of time when only those who are unbelievers are left on earth. This idea of people being left behind is simply that when Christ comes, do you know the way if you were in the primary school or in secondary school and somebody was choosing a football team or a netball team, say, okay, why won't you, you, and some people are chosen and they're part of one team and everybody else is part of the other team. When Christ comes, his people will be brought to his side and everyone else will be left behind. It means essentially that they will not be with Christ. And then both will be judged. Some to receive what is due for their sin. Others who are in Christ to receive the grace, the blessings that are the gift of God. But the good news is we have a hope. We have a reality if we trust in Christ and follow him, we don't have to fear what may happen on that day. The problem is that not too many people are thinking that far ahead. It's a struggle for government to encourage people to plan for their pensions. It's a, it's a bigger struggle for the church to encourage people to plan for their eternity ahead. And when we think about what is ahead, in the past, many Christians had an unhealthy approach, just seeing the wrath of God, the fear of God, the judgment of God. When you go to meet your maker. But in the last 100 years, people have started to see there's an emphasis on having hope, on anticipating glory. But sadly, at the same time, people have lost any sense of judgment, any sense of God. And heaven is simply an opportunity to indulge in whatever you want to do. Everybody assumes that they are going there, that nobody's going to be condemned. The God of judgment who was feared has been replaced by God who's a big softy. At least that's how a lot of people think of him. But the reality is that God hasn't changed. There is a judgment day ahead which we all need to face. The question is, how can we face that without fear? Well, we can face it knowing that in Christ there is no condemnation even now. Romans 8.1 tells us, If God is for us, who can be against us? How can we be sure that the pains of this life will end and we will enter eternal bliss? How can we be sure that we're going there? Well, the answer isn't to simply wish it away. It comes no matter what. The answer is not to ignore it. doesn't matter how little we think about it. It's on God's calendar. 
even if we sort of don't place it on ours. The answer is not to live as if we were never going to face it, just pretending that life would be good and keep on going forever. We have to face the difficult things ahead. But how can we face it? As we know, through faith in Christ. Christ has been raised from the dead. He has risen from the dead. Paul's first message to us in in the start of this chapter is the gospel message. And very often the gospel message is presented as the courtroom scene where the judge declares you're not guilty of your sins. And that is true. <clears throat> and the atonement, the, 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 the fact that Christ has died in our place, that he has died for sin, that our sins are atoned for, the price has been paid, that is crucial to any presentation of the gospel. But what Paul says is slightly nuanced on that. He includes something we often leave out. I passed on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. We often focus on that first part of what he said. Christ died for our sins. And in the gospel, we are forgiven, we are freed But the gospel message is more than that. The gospel message is that Christ was buried. He was really dead. With that Roman sword going into, uh, or spear going into the side, uh, where his heart was, where blood and water came out together. Not blood which was watery, but water and blood Doctors tell us that is proof that he had died, that the water and the, the, and the blood were separating. That only happens in somebody who's already dead. But he was raised to death from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. The gospel is that we are forgiven and we have a resurrection to come. Christ died for our sins and he was resurrected from the dead. We read in the New Testament that he appeared to the woman first, then to Peter and the twelve, as Paul tells us here in 1 Corinthians 15, and then to more than 500 people at one time. He is really alive. Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. God has a plan. Theologians talk about the covenant of redemption where God decided within the discussion of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, God decided within himself to make a plan of salvation before the world was even created. A covenant of redemption, they call it. Others argue, well, we don't have any specific evidence of that. Was it a covenant or what was it? But one thing we know is that God had planned before even the world began that Christ would be victorious. 
All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Even before he made the world. In other words, he has a plan. He's not just making it up as he goes along. Jesus going to the cross was part of that plan. And as he tells us, so you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. That whole idea of belonging to Adam and suffering death as a result or facing death as a result is something that is not too palatable to us. We like to be our own boss and get the, you know, we deserve what we get. We determine what happens to us. We don't like to be led or go in the direction that somebody else has forged for us. But that whole principle which the theologians call federal headship, of having a head, and we are going in the direction that they go in. That is something that's just part of life. A politician makes a decision. We might not like it, but we we suffer the consequences, whether good or bad. A parent or a grandparent makes decisions, and the children or the grandchildren have to live with the consequences. That's part of life. But although we might always focus more on or tend to focus more on the negative side of that principle, the positive side of that principle it is that in Christ, all who are in Christ benefit from what he has done. If we didn't have that principle, we could not be saved. If we did not all fall in Adam, then we could not all be raised in Christ. The good news is that even though we struggle in this fallen world because of mankind's fall, that we would have done if we had the opportunity ourselves. The good news is that same principle has impacted us by the actions of Jesus. We can be blessed because he pioneered a different way of living. His perfect obedience to the Father throughout his whole life, the first perfect person, sinless person, along with his sacrifice on the cross, his obedience, which is given to us, his sacrifice for sin on the cross, which takes away our guilt or the punishment due for our sins, but also his resurrection from the dead, Those three things, his obedience, his atonement, his resurrection. These become ours when we place our faith in him. And just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. God has a plan. That Christ would come, that he would live, atone and be raised again from the dead. And that death would no longer have a a stranglehold over humanity. 
and until he comes again. After these things happen, the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God, the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. Paul tells us something we don't really understand how it's happening. Christ is subduing all his enemies between his first coming and his second coming. We don't know what that means in everyday life. But once that has been finished, he will come again. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death and sin have been defeated. Praise God, death no longer holds judgment. It no longer holds fear for us. Sin no longer results in condemnation. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Sin and death are connected. We don't often think about this. But Paul teaches in Romans 5 that it is only sinners who die. Death only happens to people who have a problem with sin, whether inherited from Adam or or which is very evident in our own lives. Sin is a sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. If we've come to him, our burden of guilt is lifted, and the control, the stranglehold that death had over humanity is no longer there for us. We are freed from that. We are freed. A friend of mine spoke recently to me about how he came to faith in Christ. He had a burden, he had a, a heaviness in his life. And he was struggling. He had an, aware, an awareness of his sin. And he experienced a marvelous experience where he was encouraged to turn to the Lord. He didn't know what to do. But he ended up asking his wife, who was a believer, what do I need to do? She says, what? And when it dawned on her that he was, had some kind of experience, she's told him, place your faith in Jesus. Ask for the forgiveness of your sins. Tell him that you're wanting to, you're committing your life to him, putting your life in his hands, that you will serve him from now on. And he said, when he prayed a prayer, that prayer, he said it was like a hundredweight bag of spuds or whatever it was or coal on each shoulder had just been lifted off him. That burden was gone. The weight of sin, the weight of conviction had gone. It's as if the words of Jesus really made an impact on him. Come to me all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. He experienced that in a real way. The burden was gone. He could face the future. 
And we too, because Christ lives, we can face tomorrow. By that same power of the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, we are raised to life in our spirits. And because we have faced death, because of our judgment has been sorted out in Christ, because he died, we died in him, and because he was resurrected from the dead, we receive that resurrection in two stages. First, in our spirits, we are born again, we receive that new heart. And second, we will receive that resurrection in the body. And we don't have the fear of death and judgment hanging over us any longer. Because of Jesus, we can face tomorrow and we can face eternity. We can face death knowing that it doesn't hold eternal judgment for us, eternal condemnation, eternal fear. In a very real sense then, once we've come to Jesus... Once we know what the future holds, it is secure for us. We are actually ready to live without the burdens that were once coming down upon us. Because of Jesus' death, we can live today. Because of the Spirit's power, we can live. Because of the Father's love, we can live today without fear. Paul, at the end of Romans 8, concludes about the glory of the gospel. And he says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Of all the people in the world, we as followers of Christ can face the future without fear. We can face the future with anticipation, with even joy. We can go through the struggles of today because of the joys ahead tomorrow. We can look forward to a glorious inheritance with Christ. And as a result, even though that might be a long way away, we can face our literal tomorrow, this week, this month, this year, with joy, knowing what is away ahead of us. I know a godly old man who, when he was very young, starting off as a missionary about 60 years ago, an old Christian woman prayed for him. Lord, may he die well. She prayed. And he didn't understand what she meant at the time. But he gradually got to understand. What she meant was that he would live well. As he anticipated that day which is ahead of him. Rob Maul in his excellent book, The Art of Dying, writes... The spiritual preparation necessary for a good, faithful death accumulates slowly over a lifetime. A good death does not occur in a vacuum. We can live well today because we know that we can die well through faith and peace and assurance 
in the Lord. We can live well today with joy, no matter how close or far that day might be. So let's be encouraged. Let's live for today with joy and with confidence. Paul says, So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. It is never in vain. When he says, always work enthusiastically for the Lord, he's not talking about your job. He's, he's, he's thinking about everything you do. He's thinking of the context of works of the law, the things that we do in obedience to God. And he's thinking of living out the Ten Commandments in no matter what area of life it happens to be. We can do that knowing that nothing is ever useless. Everything we do, even though we struggle, even though we suffer, no matter what we face, death is not going to be the end. It's not as though we just cease to exist. And then why do we persevere? What was it all for? Why didn't we just live and enjoy life? Live today because tomorrow there's nothing ahead, as atheists would say. No, we can live today knowing that it will bring an eternal reward in glory. No matter what we face, we can do so in the hope of eternity, in the hope of reward, in the strength of the Spirit. We can be ready to live today because of what Christ has done in the past. Our forgiveness of sins and his resurrection from the dead. Let me just maybe finish with an illustration from Pilgrim's Progress. In Pilgrim's Progress, Christian had, the Pilgrim had died and crossed over the river. Uh, allegorically, the, the death is described as the river, like the Israelites crossed over Jordan into the Promised Land. Dying is sometimes compared to, to crossing that river. And in the story, the coming of death is illustrated as a postman who comes with a message. And there was a word in the town that a postman had come from the celestial city with something very important for Christiana, the wife of Christian the pilgrim. He'd looked for her and having found where she was staying, he presented her with a letter. It said, Hail, good woman, I bring you tidings that the master calls for you and expects you to stand in his presence in clothes of immortality within ten days. When when Christiana saw that her time had come and that she was the first of this great company to go over, the first of her family and friends, she called for Mr. Greatheart, her guide, and told him. He told her that he was very glad about the news and would have been glad if the postman had come for him. Then she asked him for advice on how to prepare for the journey. She called for her children and gave them her blessing. Lastly, she bequeathed to the poor the little she had and told her sons and daughters to be ready for when the messenger would come for them. 
And when she had spoke to her guide and to her children, she called for Mr. Valiant for truth and said to him, Sir, everywhere you've shown yourself to be true-hearted. Be faithful unto death, and my king will give you your crown of life. I would also beg you to keep an eye on my children, and if at any time you see them faint, comfort them. Then old Mr. Honest said, I wish you a fair day when you set out for Mount Zion, and I'll be glad to see that you go over the river dry-shod. But she answered, wet or dry, I long to be gone, for however the weather is on my journey, I have time enough when I arrive to sit down and rest and get dry. Then Mr. Ready to Hull came to see her, and he said to her, your travel, and she said, your travel so far has been difficult, but that'll make your rest even sweeter. Watch and be ready, for at a time when you're not expecting it, the messenger may come. And after him came Mr. Despondency and his daughter much afraid, and she said to them, You always ought to remember with gratitude your deliverance from the hands of giant despair and your rescue from Doubting Castle. The result is that you've been brought safely here. Be watchful and cast away fear. Be sober to the end. And she said to another, You were delivered from the mouth of giants, Slaygood, so that you could live in the light of the living and see your king with comfort. But I advise you to repent of your tendency to fear and your doubt of his goodness before he sends for you. Otherwise, when he comes, you may be forced to stand in front of him blushing. Now, on the day when Christiana had to go and the road was full of people to see her off on her journey... The banks beyond the river were full of horses and chariots which had come down to accompany her to the city gate. So she came out, entered the river and a wave of farewells to those who followed her. The last words that she was heard to say were I come Lord to be with you, to bless you. So she went and called and entered in at the gate with the same joy that her husband Christian had when he entered before her. In time, the postman came for others, and he called fellow pilgrims. And many of them came and had the same experience. Let me just skip to the end. Mr. Steadfast said that this river has been a terror to many. Thoughts of it have often frightened me, but now I'm easy. My foot is fixed on that which the feet of the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant stood while Israel went over Jordan. The waters are bitter to the taste and cold to the stomach. Yet the thoughts of what I'm going to and of those who wait for me on the other side are like a glowing coal in my heart. I see myself now at the end of my journey. My tiring days are over. I'm going to see that head which was crowned with thorns and that face which was spat upon for me. In the past I've lived by hearsay and faith, but now I go where I shall live by sight and shall be with him in whose company I delight. I have loved to hear my Lord spoken about and wherever I've seen the print of his shoe in the earth I've wanted to set my foot as well. His name has been sweeter than all perfumes to me 
His voice has been very sweet and I've wanted to see his face more than anything. And now while he was talking, his face changed and he disappeared from sight. We can face death with the expectation that the Lord is calling us to be with him. And many people seem as they have been dying to see a great company of people almost seeing what we can't see, welcoming them across that, across that river, across that gap to leave this life and go into the next. We do not need to fear. We do not need to fear death. We do not need to fear what is ahead. We will not like the process of dying, but we need not fear. We will go to be with the Lord. We will go to be with his people. Paul says, Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, you have a plan. It's already prepared. It's already worked out. And we simply have to just trust in Christ and all will be well. We thank you that we can face death, we can face eternity because of your love for us in Christ Jesus. And we thank you that because of that we can face tomorrow, we can face this week, we can face whatever is ahead this year because you're with us. You're our good shepherd Lord Jesus, we thank you that we are not alone. Lord, help us to live in the light of that. Help us to not fear. Help us now, Lord, to live today because our tomorrow is certain. And we thank you. This is all because of your grace and love towards us, your mercy towards us in Jesus Christ. Amen.